Welcome to Coffee with Kim. I'm Kim Kelp, and every week you and I sit down with fascinating, smart, and talented leaders, CEOs, and founders so that we can copy their homework. If someone knows how to do something really well, I want to know what it is and exactly how they're doing it. Get ready for aha moments, gems of wisdom, and little known tips and tricks that we can steal and use in our own lives. If you want to join these conversations and ask these experts your own questions, no point in just me having all the fun. Join us on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern live over on LinkedIn. Hey friend, it is so good to see you. Happy Wednesday. I hope that you are having a fabulous start to the week and thank you for taking time to join us here today. If you're new here, hey, welcome in. It's so good to see you. You might think that you joined one of those live streams where you just kind of sit back, relax, and watch us talk. And that can be true, but we would like it a whole lot more if you would lean in, get those fingers going on your keyboards, and say hi to us in the chat. Put in your own advice, lessons learned, questions that you have for us, because it's just a whole lot more fun when we're all participating together. I mean, it's fun to watch us and all, but we'd love to hear your voice. So as you can see already, the chat is going off. Hi to Giacomo and Lisa and Kelly and Sharon and Raul and Andrew and Nilsa and everybody who's joining us. See, they won first. So don't be shy. <laughs> don't be shy to say hello. Really excited about this week because as always, when I am thinking about who we should invite with us to pull up a chair and sit down with us in our cozy virtual coffee shop, I'm always thinking of the questions that I'm getting asked, the messages that the community is sending in about things that they're struggling with or what they're thinking about. And one thing that I just kept hearing sort of over and over again ever since the year started was I am feeling very anxious. I'm either coming back into the office or I'm stepping into a new role or some of us have totally different jobs than we might have had a few years ago. So just kind of like this underlying current of um, frenetic energy and, and how can we use that? One, how can we manage it? And then two, how can we use that? And so you can imagine my complete an utter delight <laughs> when I stumbled on to um, a Harvard Business Review article uh, that was all about this exact subject. And when I went in to look at like, who are they referencing in this article? Who's writing this article? Who's really like doubling down on this subject? I came across Mara who is joining us today. She actually has a brand new book. It just came out about three weeks ago called, wait for it, The Anxious Achiever. So pretty perfect uh, when you think about the summary and the topic. So I'm really excited to dig in with her. If you didn't do your Google stalking already, I'll give you a few minutes to type in her name and do a little bit of Google stalking before she joins our talk. But she is an author. She has done a TED Talk. She is an entrepreneur who sold her company two years ago. So talk about someone who is maybe an 
overachiever. So I'm really excited to dig in and talk about success and anxiety and how we can manage those two things together to help propel us forward. Remember, if you have questions, I promise, promise, promise not to hog her all to myself, although it is very tempting, but I promise not to hog her all to myself. And if you ask questions here live in the chat, I will make sure to get to them. So may you raise your glass wherever you are and say hello with me. <laughs> hey. I have, a, I have a water bottle, not a glass. Is that okay? That is absolutely <laughs> perfect. It's so good to see you. You too. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited you were able to join us and congratulations on your new book. Thank so you. So exciting. Yes. Yes. It is. It's a lot, but it's very happy. I'm, I'm very happy. It's out in the world now. Did you always know that this was going to be a book or was this just sort of the subject started taking off and it, and it led you to a book? So it was a podcast actually way before. So I launched a podcast called The Anxious Achiever with Harvard Business Review in I think 2018. I can never remember. Anyway, so pre-pandemic, which is a huge yeah. difference, right? And I launched it because as someone who is very anxious myself and someone who has managed her mental health now and her career, like very intentionally, I wanted to learn from other people who also had anxiety, who also managed depression or ADHD or OCD, you know, mental health challenges, and no one would ever talk about it, right? We just, we don't always love to talk about it. So I decided to start a podcast and try to find leaders who would talk about it. And that's what we did. And have you found that, you know, obviously 2020, probably a huge point, uh, not only for being just cheaper podcast, but really people who were looking for this content in, in probably a very fierce way compared to maybe how they were looking for it in 2018. Have you seen that now as we kind of, I hate the term return to normal, but I guess find mm -hmm. a new normal in 2023 that, that the, the need and the want is just as fierce, or do you feel like it's a spike and now people are starting to calm down a little bit? I think we're more anxious than ever, you know, and, and yesterday the Surgeon General and created, released a framework, which is really important about loneliness in America. I think that a combination of things that we're building before the pandemic and then the pandemic has just unleashed on us a feeling that things are just, I mean, things are not okay right now for a lot of us. And the good news is I think increasingly we're talking about it and we know we don't have to go it alone. One of the questions that somebody wrote in when they knew that we were going to be talking, and I'm not sure if they were able to join us live, I'll have to look through. But one of the questions was, how do I know if I am an anxious achiever? Like, do you have a either checklist or questions? Like if you answer yes to this question, you're, you're kind of getting lumped in this camp or how, how can you self-identify like, oh yes, that's me. It's funny. I mean, there's no blood test, right? So yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, and I'm, of course I'm always, I, I can't diagnose mental health conditions. Right. But, but the thing about being an anxious achiever is you, you kind of know it when you hear it. Right. And I would say that, you know, you're an anxious achiever. If you're very, very driven, you're very, very motivated. You sort of never stop. Like you vibrate at a 12 <laughs> compared <laughs> to most people. And 
you feel like there's an anxiety that is almost like your oxygen pushing you forward. And so you may achieve many things you set out to do, but it's hard for you when you do achieve to stop and breathe and feel good about it, right? You're sort of like, okay, what's next? Or, oh, this might get taken away from me, or it might not be perfect and I still have to try harder, right? It's, it's that sense of really never being done. And do you find that, I mean, obviously we, you know, talked about it a little bit before when I introduced you, but you founded a company, grew it to a, a massive size, and then ended up selling it as well, as well as the influencer list that you kind of had, had grouped in with it. And I'm curious for you, you know, how was that journey? Because I imagine one, starting a company, two, growing it as big as it was, and then three, selling it. You you have to have a little bit of overachiever in you somewhat and that kind of anxiety driving you forward. So did you find that you yourself were able to kind of, I guess, step forward into this, you know, big adventure and also yet step back and kind of find your find your chill? I've never found my chill. Yeah. And and I have to tell you that actually selling my company was like a very, it was very difficult. It was, a, it took me a year and a half to sort of recover from that experience. Um, I became an entrepreneur just accidentally because I was a political consultant. I worked at digital startups and I worked in corporate America and I could not fit. I just was temperamentally sort of unsuited. <laughs> and it was only when I started freelancing, doing digital marketing consulting, that I realized I love my work. I just need to do it differently. And so for me, being an entrepreneur was the best solution. And also, when you're an entrepreneur, for good or ill, being propulsed by anxiety is sometimes very useful. You, you sort of have to manage that. Well, manage it. And then also, what are some tools, you know, that you found to say, okay, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I feel like one of the things that I hate the most is when people are like, well, let's just get anxiety to go away. Right. Let's just like sweep it under the rug and it like disappears and then it's not a problem anymore. And what I like so much about the content that you put out and the, the data points that you bring to the table is that anxiety is actually like a fundamental building block when it comes to leadership. And instead, how can we recognize it, sort of say hello to it, welcome it to the table and, and then use it? So what are some like tactics or tips that you've found in your consultancy or even with readers of your book to kind of say, you know, welcome to the table, <laughs> anxiety, and how do we use you? Right. Anxiety exists on a spectrum, right? So at the high end of the spectrum is that really kind of good anxiety, neuroscientists call it, right? And we can all relate to that. The sense of, I'm just about to go on a LinkedIn Live. I'm about to take the stage. I'm about to give a presentation. I'm doing something I care about. And I feel anxious because I'm anticipating something and I'm not sure about the outcome and I've got a lot invested in it, but it's good anxiety. It's motivated energy. And then at the other end of the spectrum is clinical anxiety, right? And um, that is when you feel that your daily life is being impeded, whether you're having panic attacks, whether you're having phobias, whether you have intense social anxiety, you know, maybe you just can't even leave your bedroom. And if that's you, please, I hope 
you're getting help. And if not, please seek professional help. Because the good news is that because anxiety is so common, we have really good ways to treat it. So that's the good news. And then in the middle is this sort of moderate anxiety that I think so many of us are living with, right? Which is, we kind of carry it around and we go through our daily lives, but we sense that it's there, whether it's a chronic feeling of something's not right, I'm going to get found out to be the fraud that I am, bad things are right around the corner, I'm going to lose everything, right? It's it's this sort of ambient anxiety. And if you're there, that's really what I want to talk about is how do you manage it? Because you're right, it it's not going anywhere. It, it's going in your body if you're ignoring it. Understand what's making you anxious, especially at work. What's triggering me? What's making me anxious at work? And then how am I reacting? Because it's in the reaction that the magic happens, right? Mm -hmm. So we can react and we can say, you know what, anxiety, you're lying to me, go away. Or we can say, okay, anxiety, let's do this. And let's give a plan because anxiety actually likes a plan. And so you can then learn to channel it into that motivational energy, but it takes practice. It's work. And when you say like make a plan, do you literally mean like get a, a pen and a piece of paper and, and kind of make a physical plan for yourself? I literally yeah. mean, I literally, and actually this is, this is a classic technique in, in cognitive behavioral therapy because anxiety is about uncertainty for a lot of us, right? It's a sense right. that things are not okay. There's bad news. Some, there's a threat, right? Anxiety is about our threat appraisal system. And it can be so helpful when you're feeling very anxious. And this is a great technique if you're sitting in front of your computer and you're meant to be doing work and your brain is just spiraling, right? You're stewing, you're ruminating. Put it on paper. You can either write your anxious thoughts or what I do is I go through my schedule and I plan out my day, I rehearse my meetings, and I write things down. I give it a plan. Oh my gosh, wait, I love this idea. Rehearse your meetings in terms of like, you literally are like, okay, I'm meeting with, you know, Bob, and kind of like what you're going to say to Bob, and maybe what Bob's going to say back. Yeah, and maybe I'm really anxious about meeting with Bob because he's a jerk. Or maybe I'm really anxious about meeting with Bob because layoffs are happening and I don't know why Bob wants to meet with me, right? Right. I I can't control the fact that Bob is a jerk. I can't control the fact that my company is having layoffs. I cannot. So what can I control? Rehearsing the meeting is so helpful. Also, in a negotiation or any conversation that you feel like you might get anxious in, Rehearsing it gives you a plan. You can even choose words you're going to say, numbers in your head. It really will help reduce the anxiety and give you the ability to sort of go from A to B to C in a calmer way. Well, and I love this idea of really kind of coming up with a plan, putting it to paper, especially with those hard conversations. What advice would you have for someone who's thinking to themselves, okay, in this example, I'm going to meet with Bob, but maybe in another example, I'm going to meet with my team. So like, I'm the leader. I always think like when they're like, I'm the captain now, like you're, you're the boss. You're supposed to be the one that like has all the, the magical answers, but maybe you're anxious because you don't know 
or, or you have to present some like incomplete information that you know that people are going to say like, well, what about this? What about this? And you're just kind of like, Ooh, like, I don't, I don't have all the answers, even though maybe you think to yourself, I'm supposed to have all the answers. Right. I think we learned a lot during the pandemic that nobody has all the answers. It is impossible. And for a leader, three of the hardest words, but of the most powerful words are, I don't know. And you have to balance two things when you're doing this. The first is that leaders need to be seen as competent. There's lots of research on this, and I really recommend there's a a sort of a a much cited report by Amy Cuddy, you know, power pose Amy Cuddy. And um, they find that leaders need to be perceived as competent, but also warm and trustworthy and a little bit vulnerable. That's the power combination. So the competency piece is really important. I may not know the answers, but here's what I do know. Here's what we're going to do in the next 30 minutes. I can't tell you where we're going to be in six months, but here's what I can tell you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to solicit your advice. And then with all the best advice and with your input, I'm going to make a decision, right? So that's, that's establishing that I don't know all the answers, but I'm still the one in charge. I got you. And then the second piece is being a little bit vulnerable, saying, I don't know, this is really hard. I'm anxious about layoffs too, but here's what I do know, right? And so it's very important. Um, there's a great concept called boundaried vulnerability. This is um, Dr. Emily Anhalt, who's a, a workplace psychologist. And it's the concept in leadership where you are vulnerable enough to have people connect, right? I'm not sleeping well. Oh man, like, are you sleeping well? No, I'm not sleeping well but you still have boundaries so that people don't feel like they have to take care of you or they don't feel uncomfortable or that like, oh, wow, she's not my leader. We're all, we're all, it's one, we're all on our own here. Right. So it's really a balance. Well, and I also feel like that balance is that that balance is so important for that warmth as well. So when you're talking about like competent and warmth, if people just think, oh my gosh, well, you know, you're a superhero. Of course, you've never been scared. Of course, you're never anxious. Like, then you almost have this like pedestal position. And I think just kind of sharing with within those boundaries is also helpful to just be like, I'm just like you. <laughs> you know, I'm also I trying know. to figure this out. You know, it's so funny. So in the book, I talk a lot about perfectionism. I'm a recovering perfectionist. And a lot of anxious achievers are perfectionists, right? We feel that it is our responsibility that things are absolutely the best they could be. They are perfect. And if they are not, it is our fault. And we are not great people. We may not even be worthy of love. And a lot of perfectionistic leaders, a lot of anxious leaders become what I call fortresses. I can do it. I'm going to do this alone. It's only done right if I do it, like, you know, all the things. And they shut everyone else out and they they put themselves on a pedestal, but everyone else around them is like, well, what's the point? Why do I even bother showing up? And so it's really powerful when you get in touch with your feelings of why do I think I'm the only one who can do it? Why do I feel like I need to control everything? If it's not perfect, what will that mean about me? So that you can invite other people in and like build that warmth too. I'm curious, you know, as you talk about like 
the perfectionism of the things like I can do this the best versus, you know, that, that side of you that's asking for help. Obviously writing a book is, you know, I'm, I'm one of the believers, even though I haven't written a book, I have lots of friends who have done it, that, that it takes a village. You know, it's not just the author. There's the editor, there's the publisher, you know, you have your agent, there's kind of like a whole, a whole village behind the scenes. But I'm curious for you, what were parts of the book that just kind of came naturally that were just like pouring off the page? And then maybe what parts of the book did you feel like, oh man, I, I need some help. I need to ask part of my village to like help me fill in some of these blanks. I mean, I worked with an editor very closely in addition to my editor H- at HBR. You know, I mean, nobody, nobody gets anywhere alone. And, um, yeah. and again, this is, this is sort of defying a big leadership stereotype that we have in this country, but nobody gets anywhere alone. And I, I loved writing the book. This is my second book. Um, the hardest piece for me was I included a lot of my own story in the book. And at HBR, you get peer-reviewed. So mm. when you hand in the manuscript and draft, they send it out to a bunch of your peers, colleagues. And the reviews came back that my stories were not confidence-inspiring. I wasn't showing enough competence. And it was almost like, well, why should we listen to her? And I realized that my insecurity, my anxiety, all the things were not letting me take credit for my own success and leadership as someone who, yes, I am writing this book and here's why I'm qualified to. And I rewrote all my stories over the summer. And um, that was such, it was a painful learning process because getting negative feedback is never good. But I, I do feel in the book that I have really tried so hard to hit that mark between boundary and vulnerability. And um, that's been a really powerful learning. Wow. Okay. What, what advice would you have for someone who is thinking to themselves, I also either need to receive feedback or have received feedback that is maybe not so hot. Um, (laughs) Were there some like tips or techniques that you use to say like, okay, how can I receive this feedback, hear this feedback, and then use it. I think sometimes when we hear bad news or bad feedback, we just want to be like, you're wrong and I'm right. And just kind of like shove it in a corner. So how did you, how did you take that constructive feedback and actually use it as fuel? A lot of therapy, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of work because I like many anxious people for years avoided feedback like the plague. Even when I ran a company, I, everyone was always like, survey your clients, ask your clients what's good, what's bad, what needs work. I never did. I was like, I can't. And finally, I think with the book, what happened was I cared so much about writing a good book that I was able to overcome it. And the thing about feedback is when you're scared to receive it, it really keeps you stuck. You can't grow. You can't innovate you can't do great things. And I really truly believe that now as painful as it is to hear most now, sometimes feedback is wrong. Sometimes feedback is based on racism, bias, patriarchy. It's wrong. And we need to acknowledge that too. But if you're anxious and you're a perfectionist and getting feedback is really hard for you, ask yourself, 
what do I really want from my life? And, and is there any chance that like this need to control things is standing in the way? Well, and it's just not letting you get to the next level. Oh. I think sometimes we're, we're in our own way more than other people are in our way. I think that's kind of the moral of the anxious achiever for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, absolutely. And I love Giacomo's point here that if you are someone who is wanting to say, okay, I really want to kind of fuel my superpowers achieve my goals, um, but we're just sort of unsure. Obviously your journey from entrepreneur to author to speaker, you know, you've kind of learned your superpowers along the way. And for those of us out there who maybe are, are wanting to be more like you and, and find our superpowers, was there a way that you somehow discovered what those were? I mean, I think there's a lot of trial and error, right? And this is, again, where anxiety in your way could stop you, but anxiety that fuels you can push you forward. I mean, I think some of the things that I've learned in hundreds of interviews by now is that anxious leaders do have superpowers if they can manage their anxiety. One of them is core to leadership, which is being able to think ahead, being able to look around corners, being able to plan for different scenarios, right? Anxious people are good in a crisis because we spend a lot of time anticipating. And when the SH hits the fan, we're like, okay, it's go time. That's a superpower. Another one is that when we manage our anxiety, we can develop a lot of empathy, a lot of empathy. And we can, and I've heard, I've heard really big leaders tell me this on my podcast, we can imagine what that other person is feeling and respond to them with empathy and with compassion, which means we're helping them. That's a superpower. And do you find that a lot of the leaders that you work with have that ability already? I think they have that ability. And then I think the process of learning through challenge builds resiliency. It builds learning about what your strength is. You know, self-awareness is credited as sort of the number one leadership skill that people want from their leader. They want psychological safety on their team and they want a self-aware leader. Now, when you don't hide your anxiety, don't respond to it by, you know, drinking vodka, eating a Snickers or yelling at people, <laughs> you develop self-awareness and you're better able to create psychological safety because psychological safety means I'm willing and able to speak my mind on this team without being fear, without being shamed. And so I actually believe that if people got in touch, not just with their anxiety, but all the sort of darker impulses that we all have and the baggage that we bring, work would be so much less toxic. Oh, I mean, I think that I think we all learned in 2020 and since then that, you know, toxic workplaces are very real. We experience them. We try to move through them or move away from them, depending on how you're looking at it. And you've probably also come across, whether it's through your consultancy or, or groups that you've worked with, that sometimes I think, and I'm glad that this got brought up in the, in the chat discussion, is that you have to say no to someone that is hearing yes a lot. Usually this happens to like a boss 
or maybe your boss's boss's boss who's used to being like, yes, 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 yes. And then you have to kind of be the one that has to come and say, actually, no, it can't be done. Or actually, no, we can't program, you know, the website to do that. And that is very anxiety inducing when you have to be like the big bag, no wolf coming in um, and telling that to someone, especially someone who is used to hearing yes all the time. So I'm curious in all the kind of leadership groups that you've worked with, how do you help them kind of cross this bridge? That is a great question. And it's reminding me, I don't know if you're a Succession fan, but this week's episode of Succession where Kendall is asking people to build clouds and houses with like 12 hours notice. And he's like, there is no no. Right. Well, there is no. So, so there is. <laughs> Actually, you know what, and, and there's a wonderful, um, I don't know if I can write in the chat, but there was a wonderful newsletter by one of my favorite management consultants, Liz Kislick, that went out this week that is about this very question. So I'm going to borrow what Liz says, which Ooh, is yeah. basically like, if you have a boss who has to hear no, but they are used to hearing yes, you need to really listen to them first. And even repeat back, like say you're in a meeting and they list off all their demands. I hear that you're saying you want the software finished QA'd by May 1st. I hear that, right? So, so they know that you're being heard because part of it is that they're probably anxious. They may have gotten the deadline, as you said, trickle down from their boss and they are the ones who have to deliver bad news. So if you can work to make them less anxious and feel heard, really important. And then if you have to tell them no, you need to be prepared with reasons. And I would say ideally some proof points and a solution, right? Because I mean, this is so, this is a cliche, but it still counts in business. Like just saying a flat out no to your boss usually doesn't fly, right? And I, after working in client services for decades, right? If I said no to my client, they're like, yeah, okay, but, but so what, what then? So the what then is important, but I think the most important thing I want people to take away from here is your boss is a person too their behavior may be a reflection of the management that they're getting. It's not your job to fix your boss's mental health, but sometimes coming back to that empathy, it can be super helpful to take a step back and think, now, why is this demand coming? And does my boss, how does my boss feel about this? And really, I think you hit the nail on the head that I don't think enough people do, which is, proactively coming with solutions. So if you're going to tell somebody no, and you know, what's funny is we do this with kids a lot. Like, no, you can't have ice cream, but you can have a granola bar, an apple slice, you know, whatever, whatever. But for some reason, we don't do that enough in the workplace, which is no, I can't get you, you know, this data programmed into the website, but I can get you X, Y, Z. And, and would any of that be helpful? And so I think that not enough people think to themselves, okay, I have to say no, but what are some like consolation prizes or some alternatives that, that I can use? And one of which might be, we have to hire help. You know, a lot of times it's like, I can't get this done in 24 hours, but if you hire me, you know, two freelancers, 
maybe we could get it done in 48 hours. So, you know, just kind of really having that empathy with your, with your boss and saying, here are ways that I can at least get us close to the goal line, but yeah. maybe not totally there. A hundred percent. You know, and I think also something that is really challenging about hybrid work or remote work is that communication is different. And yeah. this sort of casual touch-ins that we maybe used to have when we were working together, we don't have. And that creates anxiety when there isn't enough communication or communication is misleading or it's only done online. People get anxious and your boss may be not communicating with you, but also being like, where's that report? And so intentional communications and clear metrics and milestones are super important in our hybrid era because when there's a vacuum, anxiety just like whooshes in. Oh, totally whooshes in. And I would say also if there's a vacuum in yourself, it will absolutely wish in. And I'm, I'm glad that Matt brought up this point about imposter syndrome. I knew someone was going to ask about imposter syndrome because it's like just a very like hot topic right now. But I think imposter syndrome is, is full of anxiety. And, you know, am I qualified to be here? And should I be telling my boss no? And, you know, that kind of tunnel spiral of questions that you get yourself down and so I'm curious, what strategies do you use or maybe that you advise um, groups to use to kind of break that spiral when, when, you know, it starts happening? Well, so for a lot of us, imposter feelings are even a habit. We may have been jumping into imposter feelings for decades. Imposter feelings are what I I and lots of psychologists call thought traps or automatic negative thoughts, automatic anxious thoughts, cognitive distortions, which is that you're anxious and then your brain almost goes into a hack and the hack is the thought. I don't belong here. I'm a fraud. Everything is going to go south and I'm going to get fired. That's catastrophizing. I'm a failure. That's labeling. My boss looks unhappy, therefore I'm going to get in trouble. That's emotional reasoning. There's lots of them. And I talk about this in the book and um, they're in that HBR article that you referenced. And um, understanding thought traps is one of, I think, the real keys to unlocking so much. So imposter feelings, ask yourself, have I always had these or is this new? If it's new for you, guess what? you've succeeded. <laughs> Data show that the higher you get in your career, the more imposter feelings you have. And so change is uncomfortable. When you're in a bigger room, you might feel a little bit of imposter feelings and that's okay. If you feel often like an imposter, there could be two things happening. One, you could be facing systems that aren't made for you. Bias, racism, right? People treating you like an imposter. The other is you could be breaking into the habit. That thought trap is just there for you. And through therapy, through some work, you can break that habit so that it's not an automatic place where you go. And that automatic place is, I think, somewhere we've, we've all found ourselves over and over again but to Sarah's point, what about this counter argument of, 
well, really, you just have to be faking it till you make it. Like imposter syndrome is a good thing. Embrace it. And you just have to like, you know, basically play pretend. I'm a, I'm a fan of faking it till you make it. But if you're underneath, always feeling like a failure, always feeling like an imposter, suffering from perfectionism such that it's making you work late nights or even avoid things, you can get help and you can break that cycle. You know, we all have to like pull up our big girl pants and walk into a room that makes us anxious. That's good. But when every room makes you anxious, sometimes for years on end, that's a signal. Yeah. That's, that's when the not good comes. <laughs> that's when the not good part comes out. I'm, I'm so excited about kind of these more like resource-based questions because I feel like you have walked the walk and thus you have a lot of tricks up your sleeve when it comes to this. But I'm curious if there is something that you have started, like a work-related thing that you've started either using or doing lately that you just really love and you really have found that it's something that you naturally have been either advising other people to download or listen to or read or get or use. Okay. I do have one. There's a lot of resources out there, but I have been loving, because I work with a lot of different teams. So I'm often always right. working with new teams. I have been loving the trend of teams using work style questionnaires or mm. various prompts and questions to understand how everyone on the team likes to work. Oh, and I know it's amazing because so A, it promotes like vulnerable, really good conversations and B, we're happier, right? So I'm introverted. Speaking up in brainstorms is not my jam. I love to see questions ahead of time. I don't love being on camera on Zoom. Of course, I know I need to do it. But my preference is if we're just having a one-on-one, -on -one, can we have a phone call? Like very basic but fundamental questions that help us work better. So that is a trend that I'm loving. And I'm sure if you Google work style questionnaire, onboarding, you know, you'll, you'll find examples. Yeah. It, was there like a specific question that you loved the most? I feel like the camera on versus off would be my my personal favorite question. Well, no, here's my, per yes, that's very important because I am a, definitely a camera off person. Um, when we have a meeting around a deliverable, do you like to see the document ahead of time and prepare? Mm. I yeah. think this is amazing. And as, as someone who's introverted and has some social anxiety, this is a game changer for me because I can feel prepared and comfortable with the material coming into the meeting. Right. And sort of be able to hold my own among people who are way more off the cuff or, you know, taking up a lot of air. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of air. We, we all know those people in the meeting. So. <laughs> I think we're well aware for this. <laughs> um, I'm curious for you, is there a specific either podcast or newsletter that you get every week that just fills you with a lot of value or that you just find like every time it hits my inbox or every time it hits my Apple podcast, like I immediately want to listen to it or I immediately want to read it? 
So my favorite podcast in the sort of work category is um, called Coaching Real Leaders from Muriel Manion Wilkins. And it's an, it's an H it's an HBR podcast. I'm I'm now a LinkedIn podcast. I'm not an HBR podcast anymore, but it's amazing because what she does is she basically tapes coaching sessions and you're sort of like a fly on the wall, but I always, she's a master and I always learn something from Muriel and she has a great LinkedIn newsletter as well. Um, I really like Liz Kislik's newsletter that I just mentioned. It's K-I-S-L-I-K. I love Robert Glazer's Friday Forward newsletter. I love his stuff. It's so practical and applicable. Um, and then another another sort of work business podcast that I really love is called After Hours. And it's um, two Harvard Business School professors, and they talk about all kinds of leadership and business issues. And it just, it's like one listen that I'm like, I'm up to date. I feel good. (laughs) I like that one. That's a good one. Well, around these parts, we are like self-proclaimed nerdy, great people. And so we love homework. Um, If there was a homework assignment that you could give us to do for the rest of the week, it could be to download something. I will personally say, I think everybody should go buy your book. So that will be my shameless homework plug. But if you could give us a homework assignment to do either later this week or this weekend, what would be the homework assignment that you would give us? Okay. Well, you can start right now. Um, Okay. So, so what I, what I would want you to do is I want you to listen to your body. I want you to listen to your body right now. My neck is super tight because I've been on zoom all day. What is your body telling you right at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day is your breath. Pay attention to your breath. When is my breathing tight? When does my chest feel tight? Maybe there are times when you feel kind of nauseous and anxious. Maybe there's a meeting tied to that. Maybe there's an event. Maybe there's a person tied to that. Just tune in and you can even note it. Um, because this is the way that you start sort of understanding how and if anxiety is impacting you at work. So important and probably something that we all tend to ignore until it's like I've thrown out my back or you know, I pulled a muscle, then then your body just forces you to recognize it. I have a migraine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I love this practice of really intentionally checking in with our bodies. Well, that is one that we can start immediately. So thank you so, so much. Where can people keep learning from you, accessing your content, seeing more of your videos? I'm super active on LinkedIn because my podcast is sponsored by LinkedIn and I am always putting content up there. My podcast, The Anxious Achiever, comes out weekly. It's awesome. It's won lots of awards. And um, if you have a question for me, you could just message me on LinkedIn and I'll get back to you. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for imparting all of this amazing wisdom and so much actionable wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. This was great. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. As always, if you missed part of the conversation, no worries. You can go on any of your favorite podcast channels on Tuesday and this will pop up and you can catch up on any parts that may have been left off. It was so good seeing you. Thank you for taking time today and we'll see you again soon. Bye. That was some good stuff. Thanks for being a part of this week's Coffee with Kim. 
If podcasts are your thing, subscribe to the show and you'll see a new episode appear next week in your favorite listening app. If you want to be a part of the conversation, join us live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern over on LinkedIn. You can RSVP at getcoffeewithkim.com. I want you to have your questions answered because why should I get to have all the fun? And let's be honest, you know how to ask some hard hitting questions. My guests and I cannot wait to meet you. See you soon.